0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we listen to the lively messages of Brother Nick Manzi, a down-to-earth pastor who communicates God's truth in understandable and practical terms as you apply the Bible to your own life. Amen and amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see you all here today. Uh, We've got uh, a little bit light crowd today inside the building, so I trust that most people are on Facebook watching us live, and I pray you are. Uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of start out today saying that yesterday was my uh, oldest son's birthday. Adam, he turned 16 yesterday, so congratulations, Adam. You're a young man, and uh, I pray you turned into a godly young man. And I know you already are. But you know, as his birthday was going on, I started reminiscing a bit, a little bit about the years that have been going by and the time that I got to spend with him. And it started getting me on this path of reminiscing about my own childhood, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I started thinking about all those things that I used to do as a kid and and uh, but, so I want to take a moment here. Uh, and whether you're on Facebook, whether you're going to listen to our DVD or our podcast, whether you're inside here today, th- if you were born in 1980 or earlier, I want to talk to you for a minute. So if you were born before 1980, you know, we we did life a lot differently back then, didn't we, when we were kids? I mean, we, we did a lot of things, and yet, guess what? We survived, didn't we? You know, what am I really talking about here? Well, things like right after we were born, we were put into our cribs face down. Oh, God forbid we did that today, right? You know, we had to put them on our backs. But not only did we put them face down, those babies, but we put them in these nice pastel bright color cribs that was filled with lead-based paint. You know, we had uh, medicine that we had, and not one of those bottles had childproof uh, lids on them. Uh, we rode our bikes, and uh, we had no helmets when we did so. You know, not to mention all the risks that we took. Uh, maybe you were a hitchhiker, uh, you know, or maybe as infants and children, we would ride in our in in, the, in our cars and our parents' cars, and we do so with with no car seats. Uh, we did so with no booster seats. Gosh, some of the cars that we drove in didn't even have seat belts, let alone airbags, didn't it? You know, we drank water from garden hoses and water spigots and we didn't buy a bottle of water to be when we were thirsty. We shared one soft drink with our friends and four of us drank from the same bottle and no one actually died from it. You know, we ate cupcakes, white bread, real butter and we weren't overweight. Why? Because we were always outside playing. You know, we would actually leave home in the morning. We would play all day. We would know that we were allowed to be outside and do what we wanted to do to play as long as we didn't get in trouble and as long as we got home when those street lights started to come back on. Yeah. No one was able to text us on our cell phones, young people. And guess what? We were okay. Yeah. <laughs> we were okay. We didn't die from it. You know, I, I, this is my favorite. I would, I would find scrap pieces of wood and metal and rusty nails and everything, and I would spend hours trying to build a go-kart to go down a hill only to find out that you needed brakes to stop at the end of the hill. <laughs> yeah, we ran into bushes a few times, but guess what? We figured out how to fix the problem, and so we did. We didn't have PlayStations or Xboxes or Nintendos. We didn't have any video games at all, as a matter of fact. We didn't even have personal computers. And guess what? No internet. But we had friends, didn't we? But we went outside to find those friends. We fell out of trees. We got cut. We broke bones in our teeth. And there was no lawsuits from any of the accidents that happened. Boys, you probably can relate to me with this. I should say men. We ate worms and mud pies. <laughs> and We didn't get sick from any of that. And the worms didn't even live in us forever. <laughs> we made up games with sticks and rocks and tennis balls. And although we were told that we'd probably knock somebody's eyes out, well, we didn't mock- knock out very many eyes. We rode bikes, we walked to a friend's house, we actually rang in the doorbell in their house, or maybe we just walked in when we actually wanted to talk to our friend. I just want to know, with all that happening in our lives, how did we actually survive as kids? You know, today things have changed, you know, some for the better, maybe some not so much for the better. But I'll tell you today, one thing that we are is we're more aware of our safety. We're more aware of our safety nowadays, and we're more concerned about our health today than we were in yesteryear. And we see it firsthand everywhere we look today, don't we? I mean, as a matter of fact, you see it in our new fashion accessory of of the 21st century. Everywhere you look, you see somebody wearing a mask, and rightly so. See, masks are a symbol of this pandemic era we're in. It's a visual metaphor for that tiny, unseen, viral foe that we're up against. One that we, that's lurking around every corner. And some folks, well, they've opted for a scarf that they wrap around their face and tie behind their head. Others, have I've seen, make a towel, fold it in a uh, little bit of pieces, put it over their nose and their mouth. I don't know how they do it, but they tie that around their, uh, their heads. But whether it's fancy or whether it's plain, the thought behind that mask is survival. In fact, many experts say that a mask is one of the keys to survival during this pandemic. Now, I'm not here to argue or debate that opinion. That's not what this is about. But I want to add an an additional thought to that. It's taken from the Bible. So let's open up our Bibles today and I want to look at our text. It's 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. Turn to it now. 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. Open up God's word, read it for yourself. If you don't know where it is, that's okay. Go to the front. There's a table of contents. Open it up there and read God's word for yourself. 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. If you're there, say amen or hit them heart buttons verse 14 it says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land let's pray Lord Father, I just want to thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this opportunity to be able to praise you and worship you. And Father, I thank you so much that you loved us so much that you gave us your only begotten Son, Jesus, our Christ, our Messiah, to come on this earth, not only to be an example for us, but to die on a cross, to shed his blood, to cover our sins, and to defeat death through your resurrection, Lord Father. Thank you for that opportunity and that gift. And Father, in his name, forgive us right now how we failed you. And Father, I just pray that as we study your word, that you first clear our minds and our hearts of everything happening in our lives, good, bad, and different. So the only thing that we're focusing on is your word, your gospel, your wisdom, your truth. So Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit right now. And as you do, Lord. Father, I just pray that you continue to guide us and teach us what we need to know to be able to survive, to be able to get through this troubling time that we're living in in these days, and to be able to turn back to you. So Father, as we do, I just pray that you continue to bless us with your love, your mercy, and your grace. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I titled this message, The Key to Survival. And by the way, last week at Father's Day, uh, I, I preached for a certain amount of, uh, of time, and I guess it wasn't enough because I had quite a few people say, are you done already? And that, so I'm going to fill in that extra time today. So, so fill it with me. So, you know, follow me along today. Just be with bear with me today. But we got a lot of things to cover with today, with this key to survival. You know, it, it, we just read that passage in Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen. And to be honest, we could just close up our Bibles after that and go home. It says all we need to need to hear right now about the key to survival. I just gave it to you, but we won't, because I'm a Baptist preacher. And I'm going to be able to to tell you what I believe God's telling me and what he wants me to tell you. And I believe that God's telling us that we need a revival in our land. We need a revival in our land. I don't care where you are. You should be saying amen right now. Because we need a revival in in our land. If there's any of a time to have a revival, it's right now. Definitely this moment in time, we need a revival. We need to petition God like we've never petitioned him before. And we need to ask the same question of God that David asks of him in Psalm chapter 85, verse 6, when David says, Will you revive us again, talking to the Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? Do you see that? This is the kind of question we need to be asking God right now during this time period. You know, there's too much going on in our world right now. There's so many things happening that is good, but so many more things that is in the limelight making it bad, like the coronavirus. There's crime. There's disasters. There's signs in the heavens. There's racism. There's political chaos. And we need God to revive us and to be able to heal our land right now. And while God can certainly use all those things that I mentioned to be able to position us for a revival. The key is going to be the response of God's people. Do you hear me there? Now, God can just snap his finger and say, I'm using this. Now it's time to turn back to me. But the key is going to be the response of you and me. As a matter of fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God gave those Israelites a pattern of revival during those overwhelming circumstances that were happening. And I believe his instructions can still lead to a revival today before things need to happen first. Let me ask you first off, do you believe God's word is true? I certainly do. And if you believe God's word is true, if you think this is God's word, that it comes from God, that it's inspired by God, that it's infallible, meaning there's no mistakes. If you believe all that, then you need to believe also Second Chronicles 7.14, even though it's in the Old Testament. Amen? So we need to have four things happen before we're going to see God uh, give a revival in this land. And I want to share those four things with you this morning. So, you know, Pastor Don said get a pen and paper ready to be able to write the funeral arrangements down. I hope you still have that pen and paper ready because you're going to need to write all these four points down. Get that pen, get that paper, write these things down. I don't care where you are, who you are, you've got to get this down. It's that important. So in order for God to be able to revive us, in order for God to revive us, first there needs to be a realization that we're incapable of solving this problem on our own. There has to be a realization that you and I are incapable of solving this problem on our own. See, people tend to get to the end of themselves when faced with enormous difficulty. We look at it and we're, we don't always say, woe is me, but man, I'm, I'm just done. I can't handle this anymore. I don't know what else to do anymore. You know, and that fits the pattern throughout history. And it certainly fits the pattern that's happening here in God's word. The devastating circumstances God mentions in Second Chronicles verse 7 are listed in the verse right before, in verse 13. Look at it, if you will. God speaks to Israel, and he says, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people... Now you might be reading that, and you're like, "Okay, well, that's weird. You know, what does he mean? Uh, shut up to heaven, and there's no rain. We don't. We haven't had a drought for years, for in, like they they've had in the Old Testament, have we? Well, we also, you know, look at it, and we I 'I don't see the locusts happening in America.' Well, it does happen around the around the world somewhere, doesn't it? All of things, these things are happening around the world somewhere, somehow. But there's that one word at the end, that that word pestilence. What does that actually mean, pestilence? Let me tell you what it means. It means plague, endemic, virus, pandemic, disease. Are we going through one of those right now? Are we going through some pestilence right now? See, but what I I really want you to know is that today God's people still have to recognize that only he has the power, only God has the power to be able to heal and deliver. Not me, not you. So in order for God to revive us, there has to be a realization that we are incapable of solving the problem on our own efforts Secondly, in order for God to revive us, we also need to realize what is most important. We need to realize what is most important. Did you see? I'm not saying what is important or what is pretty important or very important. What is most important? That means put whatever is important in your life and we have to realize that this is even more important than that. It's most important. See, crises have a way of refocusing our attention, doesn't it? I mean, we're refocused right now. We're, we're focused on making sure that we don't get this virus, aren't we? See, that's what crises do. We, we want to focus uh, and, and find out what we're supposed to be doing to doing the right thing so we don't get the pandemic that's going on. So during this time of quarantine, there's a lot of people out there who are rediscovering those simple joys and they're starting to refocus their priorities in their lives. And that's great. You know, one of the things that my wife and I started when this pandemic started, the whole uh, shutdown and the the social distancing thing, we started walking every day and starting to get, you know, instead of staying in bed or in the couch or watching TV all the time, we wanted to get out and do it and be able to continue to be active. But that's not even what I'm talking about here. See, our greatest need is not getting back to some sort of American normal lifestyle. It should be getting back to to having our lives glorify God. Now, I hope you have those pen and paper ready, because I want to say this again. This is one of those things that we need to be able to post all over social media once we're done here today. I want you to write it in the cover of your Bible, the inside cover of your Bible, so if you have to refer back to it, it's easily accessible. Post, Put it on a Post-it note, put it on your refrigerator. Whatever you do, this is important to write down and then revisit. See, our greatest need is not getting back to a normal American lifestyle, but getting back to lives that glorify God. I want to say it one more time. It's that important. Our greatest need is not getting back to a normal American lifestyle, but getting back to lives that glorify God. See, we do this by focusing on Jesus. We do this by obeying the Holy Spirit. We do this by walking in faith daily. The pressing need isn't even getting back to church as usual. As usual. Do you know where the American church was prior to this pandemic? Let me give you an idea. Generally speaking, across America, our churches were very busy. But it wasn't very fruitful. See, we're much like the church at Ephesus who hated the evil, but were busy in ministry so much so that they lost their first love. That's in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, if you want to look at it later. But it wasn't that they did not love Jesus at all. They just didn't love Jesus supremely. See, I believe a revival will come when believers love Jesus above all else. So in order for God to be able to revive us and to revive our land, one, there needs to be a realization that we're incapable of solving any of these problems on our own. Number two, we also need to realize what's most important. Third, in order for God to revive us, we need to humble ourselves before God. Christians must humble themselves before God. Look again at the first part of uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if, by the way, if you don't understand, if is a qualifier, right? So if, what's the qualifying part? My people who are called by my name will humble themselves. See, we must humble ourselves. Know this, biblical humility is willingly submitting to the authority of Christ and conforming to the nature of Christ. Biblical humility is willingly submitting to the authority of Christ and conforming to the nature of Christ It leads us to say, Lord, I recognize my limitations. Now it's up to you to do what you you think needs to be done. I'm going to get out of the way. Do what you got to do, Lord. Do what you got to do. See, our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. And that is to be able to glorify God the Father and to be able to serve God's purposes. That's what we should be doing. So, we, uh, revival requires humility. So, what is that going to look like in our current crises? Well, first off, it's looking out for the safety of others, isn't it? We must look out for the safety of others. For right now, we're doing that with our online church activities. And why? Because that's going to benefit the majority of our our congregation right now, the the majority of our members and our regular attenders. But I want to put a side note there and listen carefully, everybody. Please listen carefully. And I'm saying this out of love. Eventually, we do need to work our way back into the building. All right. And we need to do that when we feel it's safe and we're comfortable in doing so. Because if we don't, We're going to get so used to the convenience of online worship that we'll never come back to the church. So we must work our way back into the church eventually. But anyway, back to my point. How can we ignite and share the love of Jesus Christ if we don't show concern for the safety and the well-being of others? See, conforming to the nature of Christ means giving up our rights. Because we we want to be able to give what's best to others. Give up what is your right to be able to desire what's best for someone else. That's what we should be doing. But another part of our humility is recognizing how great our God is. Do you believe God is great? Amen? Amen. I believe he's great. I believe he's greater than, as great as I, f- I think he is. As much as I can give you adjectives of how great he is, he's even greater than that. But he's not just great, we should be worshiping him because he's great. See, scripture informs us that Solomon, who wrote 2 Chronicles, by the way, he built an extravagant temple. And they offered incredible sacrifices of their of their material possessions to be able to worship our God. See, they gave twenty two thousand heads of cattle during that time period to help with the sacrifices during that the the opening of the temple. They gave one hundred twenty thousand sheep and goats to be able to help with everything that was going on. Here's where I'm going with this all. It cost all those people something. It cost them something. So let me ask you, what are you willing to spend to honor God above yourself? What are you willing to spend to honor God above yourself? Are you willing to spend a half a day, a week? Or maybe give up your money above and beyond your tithes, by the way? What about your time? What about serving with no expectation of return? See, these Israelites, they fell prostrate to God. And it takes humility to make a gesture that says, You are much more important than anything I have or want or need. God, you are more important than all that. So, in order for God to revive us, we have to have a realization that we're incapable of solving the problem on our own. We have to realize what's most important. And we have to humble ourselves before God. But point number four, in order for God to revive us, there will need to be a strong desire for the presence of God. There needs to be a strong desire from us to to have the presence of God in front of us. Look again at our text. God also says in that text, remember, if is the qualifier, we need to humble ourselves. But still, if, he doesn't stop there. God also says that his people should pray and seek my face. We must pray and seek his face. See, that means desiring God's presence more than his provision. Do you understand what I'm saying there? We must desire his presence more than his provision. That's what Moses expressed when he said in Exodus chapter 33, 15, when he says, if your presence, talking to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. See, Moses did not want God's promises without God's presence. I don't know if you got taken aback with that. But I did when I first read that, when I kept reading it, and I still do reading it just now. It's so much important. I want to say that again. Moses did not want God's promises without God's presence. See, the history of the Great Awakenings also reveal an awe, a reverence for the presence of God. At times, his presence was so evident that there wasn't even any preaching. People just fell in their faces in worship. Man, I wonder if we can do that one day. I wonder if we could feel the presence of God in this building at Central Baptist Church so much that when it's time for me to preach, instead of listening to my words, we all just fell in our face in worship. How great would that be? See, the question is do we recognize the presence of God as our greatest blessing? Do we recognize the presence of God as our greatest blessing? Are we seeking His face in prayer before asking for the healing work of His hands? See, Solomon oversaw the building of a new temple. And he dedicated it with many sacrifices. And then he spent time in prayer to God. So in answer to Solomon's sincere and fervent prayer that God pay attention to the needs of the people uh, and give them his blessing, God identifies with what he's looking for. And that is if if the people who receive his favorable attention and help, they must pray and seek his face. That is so important that we do that. We must pray and seek his face. Let me say this about prayer. What does it exactly mean to pray? Well, it doesn't mean to place your order like you're at some sort of fast food restaurant. That's not what it means. God invites us to come in and politely, respectfully, and in humility solicit his help. See, we shouldn't demand things like some televangelists tell us to do so. I'm sorry. We We shouldn't. There's nothing humble about that. Jesus actually taught his disciples how to pray. And they were raised as religious people, weren't they? But they still asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Let me ask you, how did you learn how to pray? Did a pastor help you? Was it your mom, your dad, friend or family member? Are you just guessing most of the way and hoping it's working right? Well, let me give you a little insight. Go back to your elementary school days. Do you remember how the teachers taught you how to write a friendly letter? You know what the body of the letter should contain so it, so it come across as a friendly letter? We need to be able to request from God something at least as important as a friendly letter. We must come to him with awe, with reverence, with humility. Anything sincere, offered in humility, well, it'll probably do. But maybe we need to spend a little bit more time practicing, looking at what Jesus taught us. Turn to Matthew 6, 9 9 through 13. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Uh, And as you're turning there, notice the respect, the humility, the repentance of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Are you there? Say amen. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, the scriptures are full of prayers that you and I can learn from. We can check out a lot of them throughout Scripture, Psalms and uh, Ephesians and and other books of the Bible. So when we pray, we must add humility when we're beseeching God for His blessing. 2 Chronicles 7.14 also teaches us that we're supposed to seek His face. This is the opposite of what many of us actually do. It's more common for folks to basically ignore God until it's, they're desperate and they need him right then and there. So rather of seeking their face all the time in their days and throughout all their prayers, people actually do things that are actually offensive or, 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 or degrading to God. And then they wonder why God isn't answering any of their prayers or he doesn't seem to be around when they need something desperately. Well, let me ask you. Would you hang around to help somebody who constantly insulted you? Especially when you deserve honor? See, seeking God's face is going out of your way to see, to see him. To be able to spend time in his presence. To seek is to try to get the privilege of an audience how do you get an audience with the united states of with the president of the united states of america you can't just walk in i don't care who that president is you can't just walk in can you you can't generally even see a bank president for that matter without some preparation or an appointment can we Usually we need to go through the secretary first. And after we get an appointment, then we probably have to prepare what we're going to say because there's time is limited for us. Not that God's time is limited. I'm just using an earthly example. But we probably have to dress up a little bit first, especially if we're going to the bank for a loan. We want to be able to show that we're deserving of that loan. Or we're going to the present. We want to show we're giving uh, respect to the office. See, what I'm saying is, take some intentional time of effort and preparation prior to meeting them shouldn't we spend some intentional time before we get into god's presence shouldn't we spend some intentional time just pausing and seeking his face while we pray See, God is not about to help those who are arrogant and independent and rebellious towards Him. That's what the Second, second Chronicle seven fourteen says to me. So, a requirement for God's help is for people to humble themselves, to decide to willingly submit to God's will and submit to His leading. See, so these people that we're reading about in Scripture recognized how much they needed God's help. Solomon recognized he, his need for help in leading the Israelites. They realized what they needed. You and I need to realize our need. We need to realize our need. And by the way, in case you forgot what your needs are, you can't breathe without God supplying that oxygen, can you? We can't even water our garden without God supplying water. Realize your own need. See, we tend to live and act like it's normal uh, and right to be able for God to serve us when we need him. That somehow he exists to provide us for our wants and our needs. We tend to think that we deserve it because we've always had it. Or maybe because others have them. Like a house, three meals a day, regular snacks that we so enjoy. We think we deserve things like TVs and jeans, nice jeans and, you know, uh, upscale sneakers that cost way too much money nowadays. Let me tell you, we don't deserve any of these things. Nothing do we deserve. They're all gifts to you and me. They're a blessing from God. So we need to be able to render thanks for each and every one. They're blessings, not rights. What I do deserve is to be abandoned because of my sin. That's what I deserve. I deserve to be abandoned for the way I lived in regard to what God has already done for me. I deserve to be beaten. I deserve to be defeated, to be humbled by our God. That's what I deserve. Now listen, like you, I absolutely want people to be healed of this pandemic, of this virus that's going on. I don't want to have to worry about it anymore. I want to go back to our lives like it was before and even better. I want that. But I want to caution you because physical healing can bring immediate fixes, yes. But we need to be cautious that we're not compromising our eternal need we must be cautious that we're not compromising our eternal need. Let me get put it this way. A drunk man can find sobriety without ever meeting the Savior. He may live a sober and successful life, but yet he's still separated from God. So revival from God comes by realizing that our greatest needs are spiritual, spiritual. Not physical. Not physical. Seeking the presence of God focused, focuses our attention on the provider more than his provision. As believers, we need to have an acute awareness of personal sin. The American church unfortunately talks a great deal about uh its strategy to reach the loss about this its strategy for church growth and those are necessary to talk about but the problem about that is there's so so little being talked about in our churches and across america today about repentance and we must repent so i think it would behoove us to remember to remember that the lord was talking to his people when he says and turn from their wicked ways if my people will turn from their wicked ways you know i use that word revival quite a bit today and although we 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 have this tendency of thinking of revival as you know, the 70s things, 60s and 70s things where you put a tent outside and hope to bring uh, the lost in, into the tent to teach them about Jesus Christ and so many lost come to come in Christ. But see, revival's more than that, and it's much more than that. Revival is the reawakening, the making alive people through confession and repentance. Are you God's people? If you are, raise your hand. I'm, a, I'm part of God's people because I accept that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That makes me God's people. So revival means that Nick needs to come alive in, through God. And we do that through confession and repentance. We must do that today. So in order for God to revive us, we need to be, have a realization that we can't solve the problem on our own. We need to realize what's most important. That we need to realize we need to humble ourselves. And when there also has to be a strong desire for God's presence. Those are the four points for God to revive us. For us to have a revival in this land. If we do those four things. Those four simple yet so difficult things in our lives. According to 2 Chronicles Seven, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, excuse me, 7, verse 14. When this happens, God says, I'll hear them from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Let me go back there a second. Go back in there. If we do those four things, realize we can't do it on our own. Realize what's most important. Realize that we need to humble ourselves before God and realize that we need to have a strong desire for God's presence. When we do those four things, then God says, I will hear you. I will hear you from heaven. I will forgive you of your sin. And if you do it as a lamb, I'm going to heal your lamb too. Seeing God's pattern here, notice something. There's an eternal work before there's an immediate work. Because spiritual healing is a greater need. Do you see that? And will forgive their sin and heal their land. Not the other way around, right? So will the things happening in our world bring revival if they're gone? Will we see a revival if there ends up being coming a cure uh, for this COVID-19 virus? Are we going to see a revival when there's no more hate, no more crime, no more disasters happening on this earth? Well, those are good, good questions. Cause I can't answer them. I don't know. But what I can tell you is whether or not that we'll experience a widespread revival will only dis- depend on a response to God. We must respond to God in a sense of eagerness from believers to stay connected to one another, which is a good thing, by the way. We must take advantage of this waiting period that we're in right now. Wherever you are, start to get right with God right now. Get right with Him personally. We must do that. What if we stopped waiting out this virus and start humbly seeking his presence, purposefully doing that? What if we started repenting from the sin that we have harbored up in our lives, that we've allowed to linger around in our lives? Well, if God's people emerge like that, once this is all said and done, then I could see a tremendous revival in our nation. I pray it happens. I pray it happens quickly. But it's not going to happen until you make that decision. Every one of us, individually, I can't make it for you. We all need to make that decision. Know this. Overwhelming circumstances should bring certain realizations We're living in a time right now when our circumstances are overwhelming. People are out of work. People are sick. People are dying from a pandemic. You know, we're having racial problems. We're having all these hate problems going on. We're having uh, riots happening and everything happening in our world. And I know it's overwhelming. We don't even know who's giving us the right advice and the wrong advice anymore. But there's one thing that I hope you and I can agree on. And that's the fact that our land needs healing. We need a revival. So if you're listening in today, here, Facebook Live, DVD, podcasts, wherever you are, I pray we can have a revival. I gave you the keys. You can always go back and reread it. It's right there. And you're more welcome to read it over and over and over Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I don't know about you, but that sounds great. I want my sins forgiven. I want this land healed. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Lord, Father. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for failing you. Father, I so desperately need you. We need you so bad, Lord, in this land, in this world they've given us, that we've messed up so bad. Father, I pray you forgive us in Jesus' name how I failed you, how each of these who are listening in failed you, Lord. Father, I pray you do that in Jesus' name. Father, we don't even deserve to enter into your throne room full of mercy and grace and love. But you're allowing us to do so. So, Father, I fall prostrate at your feet. As I do, Lord. Lord. I thank you for being a glorious God, for being an all-powerful God. I pray that you just be with us and help us with this land, with our problems, with our sins. Father, I pray that you help us and start with me, Lord, to be revived And you, Lord, revived in such a way that whenever I walk, have the glow like Moses did when he came down from Mount Sinai. Not for my attention, Lord, but so they know that all they see is you. That your glory is shining so bright that they're attracted in wonderment of what that is. So they too might want that glory. Father, I pray on this day that you've given us, I pray that you just bless us with your mercy. Because we keep failing you each and every day. But Father, we want to seek your face in all we do. Because you are most important. You're worthy of our praise. But yet we're not worthy of your mercy. So, Father, we thank you for that mercy. We thank you for that grace. But, Father, I just pray that you just help us uncover the Holy Spirit who's indwelled into each one of its believers uncover him right now father so we might be able to have that power that boldness that willingness to be able to go into the world starting in our own lives to walk in your ways to be guided by you and only by you not this world and I pray that as we are father that others might be able to do the same and and we might have a revival in this land that's so needed Father, I live in America and I pray for this land that we're in right now. I pray for a revival to happen across all 50 of its states, across all of its territories. And I pray, use this land to be a guiding light for the rest of the countries across this world. And that we have a revival, a worldwide revival, so that every knee bows. Father, Father, I just pray that your revival comes quickly. And I pray as it does that we continue to seek your face and not turn away from you again. Father, we need your help. We seek your face. We humble ourselves as we pray to you. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Amen. Nick Manzi is Senior Pastor of Central Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. If you want more information about the church, or if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, contact Brother Nick at Pastor Nick Central Baptist PSL at gmail.com. God bless you as you go about the rest of your day, and thank you for listening and sharing our podcast.